Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff, with Eleanor Goldfield. In the first segment today, I am joined once again by guest co-host Reagan Haney, former Project Censored intern. We'll speak with journalists Alan McLeod and Rosa Del Duca about truth in military recruitment and the latest efforts to attract more human fodder for the U.S. war machine. The focus is on McLeod's latest piece at Mint Press News, From Simp to Soldier, how the U.S. military is using e-girls to recruit Gen Z into service. Later on in the program, Eleanor Goldfield recently spoke with licensed mental health counselor Dr. Harriet Fraud to discuss a censored perspective on gun violence in the United States, the deadly intersection of patriarchy and capitalism. Add to this the unique U.S. icon of the lonesome cowboy, equipped with nothing but a gun and a sense of isolationist pride, and you have a recipe for mass shootings. Stay tuned for a new Project Censored show. Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. In today's segment, we are welcoming back our previous academic intern for last year, Reagan Haney, who recently graduated from Loyola Marymount University. And Reagan joined me last month in an interview with Alan McLeod from Mint Press News. And today she's rejoining us to interview Alan McLeod once again with Rosa Del Duca. I'm going to be making some proper introductions here in a moment. Um, the article that we're talking about today and the subject that is up for us today is a recent piece penned by Alan McLeod, which included Rosa Del Duca in it. It's called From Simp to Soldier, How the Military is Using E-Girls to Recruit Gen Z into Service. Now, there's a, a, a long context and history to this and truth in recruitment the U.S. military machine. There's an awful lot that's packed in here. So let me introduce our guests first, then we'll get some background. The author of this piece at Mint Press News is Alan McLeod, no stranger to the Project Censored audience. He's a senior staff writer there. And after completing his Ph.D. in 2017, he published two books, Bad News from Venezuela, 20 Years of Fake News and Misreporting, and Propaganda in the Information Age, Still Manufacturing Consent. He's written a number of academic articles as well. He's contributed to FAIR.org, The Guardian, Salon, The Gray Zone, and many other publications. Alan McLeod, welcome back to the Project Censored show. Always good to be back with you, Mickey. Thank you, Alan. And Rosa Del Duca is a writer, journalist, teacher, and musician. She grew up a tomboy in rural Montana, where she joined the Army National Guard at 17. During her time in uniform, she became a conscientious objector. And that tumultuous time is the focus of her award-winning memoir, Breaking Cadence, One Woman's War Against the War. When she's not writing creatively, Rosa is teaching or working as a freelance journalist. She also volunteers with the Truth in Recruitment group before enlisting. Rosa Del Duca, welcome back to the Project Censored show. Thanks for having me. We discussed your amazing memoir a while back, and we also hosted you at our college, giving a great workshop this past semester. And of course, given your expertise and your first person experience in recruitment, Alan actually interviewed you for the article that we're going to discuss here today. So this article, Alan McLeod, let's start with you, is 
from simp to soldier, how the military is using e-girls to recruit Gen Z into surface. So this article looks at psyops issues, recruitment issues. It actually looks at a whole range of topics that we're going to get into. But I'm going to contextualize it. At the end of the article, you talk about this war machine, the U.S. empire, and you cite a couple of recent studies. The Cost of War Project at Brown University estimates that since 9-11-2001, there have been somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half million people who have died as a result of post 9-11 wars. Other studies actually place the number higher, but the Cost of War Project's conservative estimate is very well sourced. It also estimates that at least 38 million more people have been forced to flee their homes or creating uh, refugees. You also remind us that the United States is a very belligerent and warlike nation, spending 229 of its 247 years of existence in in some kind of conflict, including 251 foreign military interventions since the end of the Cold War in 1991. Again, these are pretty riveting numbers, and this is all happening at the same time when the military is experiencing an extremely high attrition rate and recruitment levels are at a low point. So that's where I want to turn it over to you, Alan McLeod. I think it's fair to say that America is in decline whether that's an economic decline, a spiritual decline, a moral and social decline. Everywhere around, it seems like things are stagnant rather than being built and, you know, looking towards the future. And it's certainly the same with the military. Nowadays, if you want to join, you know that you're going to be enlisted and sent somewhere in the Middle East to fight some sort of battle that has been going on for decades. Perhaps even your father or your mother has been sent there before you, and you're treading exactly the same paths as they tread. So I don't think it's very surprising to see that a new study that came out showed that only 9% of Generation Z, that's people under around 25 years old or under just now, only 9% of them actually have any interest in joining the military whatsoever. This is despite the sorts of economic incentives that the military still continues to dangle over young people, the allure of free college, etc. And so the military has really had to get creative in the last 10 years or so in trying to recruit young people. And one of the ways they're doing it right now that I explored in this article is really trying to appeal to them on social media by trying to use psychological operations and particularly trying to recruit and enlist an army of e-girls. That's basically young women on the internet who are looked at by men. Very often they play video games. Very often they're doing sports or streaming on YouTube or Twitch or anything. The military has now seen this as a potential avenue of recruitment whereby they either help or tacitly endorse these e-girls who are pushing a sort of pro-war, pro-military message, trying to get people to enlist in the army, whether that's Instagram or TikTok, or whether that's in longer videos on YouTube. These videos in particular, maybe you can mention a couple of the people that you've cited in the article. They're trying to sort of seduce or lure people into military service, kind of sexualize military service. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the best example of this is Haley Luham, who has really just exploded in the last 12 months on TikTok, especially where she now has nearly three quarters of a million followers and many, many more followers on YouTube and Instagram as well. Luhan 
probably half of her posts are sexy pictures of her in her underwear, maybe carrying a gun or something. And then some of them are memes. But then a good deal of her posts are just hardcore, join the army, sign up now, enlist, like really hardcore pushes to her army of young, young teenage boys who are looking at this sort of content. And a lot of people in the comments are saying, this is a psyop, this is a psychological operation. You are posting thirst traps, which means sexually suggestive content, to try to get us horny for war. And the thing is, is that they're right. She literally is a psyop. And what I mean by that is she is part of the psychological operations division. She's a psychological operations specialist within the U.S. Army. Now, if you actually go to the U.S. Army's website and you can read what that actually means in practice, it says, and I quote, as a psychological operations specialist, you will be an expert in persuasion. You'll assess and develop the information needed to influence and engage specific audiences. You'll broadcast important information through various mediums and assist U.S. and foreign governments, militaries and civilian populations. And this really sounds a lot like exactly what Luhan is doing on TikTok. Now, I tried to find out, I tried to contact the Department of Defense to see how much involvement the military actually has on Luhan's page. They did not reply, but it seems absolutely clear that an organization like the U.S. Army, which is so careful to protect its image, is clearly at least tacitly endorsing this sort of content, even though it is steeped in irony and meta memes about how this is all a psychological operation. But, you know, join up anyway. And this is really a, a brave new world of recruitment we find ourselves in. It's a very 2023 story with all sorts of things that I think probably won't make sense to the older generation. But ultimately, I'd say that the father of modern propaganda, Edward Bernays, would say it doesn't really matter whether she is or isn't a psyop. Because what this content is doing is associating lustfulness and horniness in the minds of young people who are watching this content. And there are millions of people watching her content. And it's associating that with enlistment. And it is literally making them horny for war. And that is what I find the most sort of bizarre and dystopian thing about this whole situation. Rosa Del Duca, let's bring you into the conversation here. Your award-winning memoir, Breaking Cadence, One Woman's War Against the War, you talk a lot about that recruitment. You talk about your time in service. You talk about what that means. And of course, you have gone on to be not just a journalist, but you've also really tried to use your experiences to try to educate the public about what really happens with service in the military, and you were interviewed for the article here. Can you chime in and talk a little bit about what Alan was just saying and, and talk a little bit about your experiences? I looked at Luhan's TikTok account and her Instagram. It's shocking. It's surprising. I can't wrap my head around like how the conversations with her commanding officers or even just the the higher-ups and the enlisted chain of command <laughs> like how does this work out yeah they must be tacitly approving as you put it like you really hit the nail on the head like it doesn't seem like they're really censoring what she's putting out but if any ordinary person thinks that they're going to join the military <laughs> and become some kind of social media star that's just not the case i mean you go to boot camp they lock your phone up 
first thing they do is they take anything from your civilian life, right down to your underwear and your deodorant that smells like anything. And they lock it up along with your phone. Like you are not going to be posting anything from boot camp and probably not even AIT. And then, you know, as, as you go on. Tell our listeners what AIT is. Advanced individual training where you learn your army job. It's just so bizarre to like just see this page of her half dressed with the M16 or all these other various weapons. It almost looks like a you know one of those sleazy post uh, calendars from <laughs> from the 90s or something. But instead of just ordinary women, this is an actual soldier posting this stuff, and so. I think it's creating this culture of like, oh, there's these sexy girls in the military and I'll get to hang out with her or for the women, like I could be a social media star and serve my country, you know, service and put in quotation marks. I think a lot of people realize um, after their service that they don't want to be thanked for their service because it really didn't create any good. It wasn't something positive. The experiences were vastly negative. They realized that, yeah, they've been part of this organization where you are exploited at a very young age, 17, 18, when you go in, don't understand what this eight-year contract is going to entail. You have a series of demoralizing experiences for those who served in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of them come away with moral injury about what they participated in, what they did, what they saw and how they didn't act. Just all this like guilt building up from everything. You know, all those millions of innocent people killed in the crossfire. And yeah, that's what's such a turnoff to watch Luhan's post because she's just treating it like a joke and like a game, something fun and sexy. And she doesn't think about, do you know what happens to a person when you fire that weapon through a a body? These are weapons of war and they're meant to kill people. Don't you think about that at all? I suppose it's appealing to the so-called amosexual crowd, right? The people that fetishize violence and, and weapons and these types of things. We certainly know there's a lot of other rot in the military, from Nazis and white supremacists to many others. So misogyny isn't far behind, it seems. We're going to take a quick break here. I'm Mickey Huff, your host for today at the Project Censored Show with Reagan Haney, who's going to chime in here in the second segment. We are joined by Alan McLeod, senior staff writer at Mint Press News, and Rosa Del Duca, an independent journalist and also a faculty member who taught journalism with us at my college. Rosa also is author of the award-winning memoir, Breaking Cadence, about her time in the military, we are discussing Alan McLeod's latest article for Mint Press News, From Simp to Soldier, How the Military is Using E-Girls to Recruit Gen Z into Service. We'll continue that conversation after this brief musical break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Right now in this segment, we are speaking with senior staff writer, journalist Alan McLeod from Mint Press News, discussing his article from Simp to Soldier, how the military is using e-girls to recruit Gen Z into service. 
We are also joined by Rosa Del Duca, author of the memoir Breaking Cadence, a freelance journalist that was actually interviewed for this particular article. And Reagan Haney is joining us, our former academic intern. And uh, Reagan, I'm going to hand over to you and you can help kick off our second segment with Alan and Rosa. Yeah, so I was just, you know, right before the break, I was going to chime in and add on to what Rosa was saying about the sexualizing of war and this sort of like, you know, new influencer culture that the military is sort of trying to capitalize on. And I was scrolling through Haley Luhan's Instagram and TikTok account, and it's just bizarre. I wish we could throw in some of the visuals and some of her posts because it's so incredibly bizarre. She's shooting AK-47s in like a bikini and she has this e-girl makeup and I'm a part of Gen Z. And so I see this sort of niche group of women online all the time. So it's really bizarre seeing the two worlds kind of collide. It doesn't make sense to me, but it also does make sense because we've also seen this with the IDF, the Israeli army. They've done this for nearly a decade where they've had Instagram accounts of beautiful Israeli soldiers with bright blue eyes and freckled skin, and they've used that as a tactic. So I'm sure that the U.S. military has been inspired based on that, because that has been really, really successful. Like Those Instagram accounts have huge numbers, millions of followers. Part of me was shocked, but it also makes a lot of sense at the same time. So Alan, can you chime in here on the making sense of it? And Rosa, you, I think, hit on this too in the article. It's hard to believe that this is happening in an unsanctioned way. I mean, the whole social media universe is kind of a, a way of blurring the lines between entertainment, infotainment, reality, faux reality, like purposely created things that are made to look influential or look spontaneous that, in fact, are very contrived, very well thought out and very planned. So, Alan and Rosa, can you comment more on that? This is very much contrived. The military is very, very careful to control its image across public life. In fact, I quote in the article, the official Air Force media guide that says that, quote, you are encouraged to use social media to share your experiences as an airman, as your stories might inspire someone to join the Air Force, support the Air Force, comfort a parent or spouse, improve morale or correct inaccurate information. But that same Air Force media guide, just a couple of pages later, says that sharing the wrong kind of information i.e. content that shows military life in a bad light, uh, is a very, very bad idea. And in fact, quote, could jeopardize you and your airman's career, end quote. So the military is absolutely clear on what sort of social media content they want out there. They want stuff that glorifies the military. They don't want anything about PTSD. They don't want anything about sexual assault. They don't want anything about the moral injuries soldiers face after they come back from who knows where after killing how many civilians and they feel terrible about it for the rest of their life. That is not what they want out there. Instead, they want sexy photos of uh, women really with the sort of implicit uh, the implicit understanding or the implicit message that, you know, if you join the army, you're going to meet a whole load of hot babes immediately. And as Reagan was saying, Israel is really the world leader in this. They have so many accounts, even the official Israeli Defense Forces accounts will put out pictures of extremely attractive women in uniform constantly. The government of Israel constantly decides to use young women as their spokespersons. They've been doing this for many years, in fact, decades. 
They consider having a female face to be a great way of softening Israel's image. And so they're really masters at trying to manipulate their image online and try and soften the harsh realities of what's actually going on there. Well, Alan McLeod, you cite another TikTok duty logbook, and there's a picture of a, a young man looking at the recruitment station, contemplating whether or not they should join. But he appears to be quickly persuaded when, is it Luhan that walks by? Yeah, and like yeah, slow right. motion. Chime in here, Rosa. Right now, because she's posting this, yeah, like glorification of military life and, and service and all the cool military toys you get to play with in certain divisions. I'm sure they will let her post freely. But the minute she becomes critical of anything that the U.S. is involved in or maybe something that's happening in her unit, something she was asked to do, maybe her commanders want to control her content a little bit. And if she, if she breaks out of that box, that content you won't see. I have a friend who is in about face veterans against the war. And when she started having moral qualms about her role as an officer in the military and was posting on social media, the military lawyers came after her and suddenly she was in big trouble and in a court case and maybe facing a dishonorable discharge, which the military and the civilian world treats like a felony that you have to report on every single you know, employment application. So she's boxed up right now. And if she ever grows a little bit, grows up a bit, has a wider view of what actually, what kind of organization she's involved in and becomes just a little bit critical, well, her life is going to be a, a lot different. Rosa, maybe we could send them your book. These seem like the young, young people that are in need of hearing your experiences because the language that you used and, and the quotes from the article was baffling and mystifying on one level, but, but again, disgusting in another, given your experiences were starkly contrasted from what's implied in these kinds of videos. The military, it's, it's like a cult. It's like a secret because no one on the civilian world really understands what you go through, even in boot camp. It's just such a bizarre experience, and it's almost like being in prison. It's hard for people to understand if they haven't gone through it. I'm not surprised that this is yet another angle that the military is coming at to recruit young people and, and to exploit them and entrap them in this very long legally binding contract because young people, you know, still in high school, their target is high schoolers and they come in, they roll in with their buses, with the video games that, um, you know, Alan's previous article talked about, you know, like the, the military has an active hand in Hollywood, any movies that have any military equipment. Well, the military gets to sign off on all that stuff. The, the video games, they can come into any high school, any public school on a regular basis. That's their right under No Child Left Behind. They are guaranteed regular access to all of our kids, all of our teenagers. And the other side, the truth and recruitment people who just want people to be well-informed before they consider such a life-changing decision as signing away eight years of your life, well, we have to try to form connections with the counselor or any teacher just to try to get the truth out there. They've got all the cards. And this is just another one where they're just coming in in any angle they can, like, oh, you want bonus? You want this? Oh, we provide it all. 
So, Alan McLeod, Rosa just mentioned, you know, your previous piece on Call of Duty, Activision, the Pentagon working with video game companies. You also talk about the propaganda blitz. In fact, there's a great film just out, Theaters of War, from last year that talks about the CIA, Hollywood, propaganda film. You kind of thread this together in the article, and the YouTuber generation is kind of another iteration of that. Can you talk a little bit about the propaganda blitz, Alan McLeod? Young people are absolutely blitzed by pro-war propaganda, whether they turn on their televisions to watch MLB or NFL games and they see flyovers or jets, or they're playing video games like Call of Duty, which probably unbeknownst to them have signed deals with the US military in order to, in the military's own words, make them, quote, more credible advocates, end quote, for the military. Or they're watching movies, things like Top Gun or any of almost 10,000 titles that the US military has co-produced over the last 20 or 30 years, many of which are military specials, but also a whole load of titles that you would never guess had any sort of military connection, like The Price is Right or The Ellen DeGeneres Show. These sorts of things are just baked into US culture so much that young Americans are just swimming in an ocean of pro-war propaganda. And so I really find it astonishing that so few of them are willing to drink this and are willing to go along with it. So I really have to, you know, commend them. It's riveting. You write that in 2022, the military saw the lowest recruitment figures since the draft was abolished in 1973. You said the Army alone missed its enlistment target by 25% or 15,000 active duty soldiers. And you say that the number in 2023 is to be even more dismal. Gen Z, you write, they just don't seem to be, despite these videos, despite these influencer operations, only 9% of so-called Zoomers, Gen Z, express any interest in enlisting in the armed forces. Rosa Del Duca, I suppose you may see that as a positive sign. I absolutely see it as a positive, but I also think that the pandemic is influencing those numbers. Recruiters could not come into schools. No visitors could come into schools during the pandemic. And so the recruiters weren't there on a daily basis. But also, I'm really hoping that teens are more skeptical these days. But also, when we go into schools, when we do talk to high schoolers across the Bay Area, they do not have a basic understanding of what military service is, what the war on terror is, what conscientious objection is. They're pretty naive about these matters. And a lot of them are English as a second language speakers. They're from immigrant families and might not have the wealth of knowledge that when a recruiter walks up in that very official looking uniform, looking like almost like like a police officer, like a, a figure of authority that they might have to have a conversation with. We've had on the peninsula, recruiters were hounding community college students, following them home, knocking on the door. And they thought that they had to answer the door and talk to this person like it was a police officer because they don't really understand like, no, you can tell that recruiter to not come back. Don't talk to me. I'm not interested. And so when they come up you know, offering promising money for college or job training, which, which is also ludicrous, military skills do not translate to the civilian world. 99% of the jobs, that kind of job training you can't use later. I also am just very leery of what tricks are they going to pull off? Reagan Haney. Going back to this theme of recruitment, 
Do either of you have any insight or thoughts about where the military's relationship with influencers will go in the future? Or more broadly, do you have any thoughts about their, for lack of a better word, rebrand? And what are the implications of this on future generations? The military is spending huge sums of money trying to partner with big YouTube stars as well, making these sorts of ads, which actually to most people, they don't even realize they're ads because their favorite YouTube star, some of whom have tens of millions of subscribers, are going to military bases and saying, isn't this wonderful? And click the link below if you want to join the army as well. So I think there's going to be a sort of manifold sorts of uh, micro-targeting ads. We're already seeing this with big government groups like the CIA, where one day they'll you know, try to appeal to conservatives by talking about, you want to protect your country. And then on the next day, they'll try and appeal to progressives and liberals by branding themselves as LGBT friendly or super woke. So I think we're going to all be micro-targeted with certain ads all of which are designed to try to pique our interest and try to get us to believe the military and the national security state is exactly what we hope it is. But it's frankly got nothing to do with the truth. So speaking of truth, over to you for the last words here, Rosa Del Duca, certainly your work and experience in before enlisting, I'm sure uh, relates to this. The younger generation understands social media pretty intimately, and I think they can create these kind of campaigns that micro-target um, all these people and young people spend so much time online that you're bringing the argument directly to the people that might attract. And I just would love to see some kind of conversation about the recruitment age being lifted to 21 because it's just a travesty it's that we're allowing 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds to enlist in this organization that they know very little about and that recruiters, they have a vested interest in not telling you the full story. They will tell you all the benefits, but they won't tell you all the downsides. Like, sure, I'll give you this 20,000 signing bonus. Oh, by the way, you have to complete this much training before you get half of it. And then you have to complete this much. And if you get in trouble at any point along the line, well, bye-bye money. Like there are all these little fine print and ways to get out, little little traps that they love to set. Um, and so yeah, I just think that people need to have a little bit more life experience um, or, or maybe make truth and recruitment a required class to graduate high school. Our teens deserve it. They deserve the truth. Civics education, critical thinking, media literacy, all of that goes a long way in helping people decode propaganda or at least understand the messages that are being beam directly at them. And in many ways, as Alan McLeod said, in a very targeted way, uh, even co-opting, uh, you know, political attitudes or identities, the notion that we some, you know, that we somehow have a woke military uh, because there's an African-American Department of Defense secretary who, who, by the way, came from Raytheon. I guess they make the rainbow bombs there uh, to drop on brown people around the world. It's one thing we do know is that war certainly isn't woke. Rosadelle Duca, where can people find your work? Rosadelduca.com or just Google my book anywhere. Your book is Breaking Cadence, One Woman's War Against the War. Rosa, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Alan McLeod, Senior Staff Writer at Mint Press News. All of your work, of course, at mintpressnews.com. Anything else you want to share, Alan McLeod? I guess I'm most active on Twitter, so you can find me at Alan R. McLeod. And McLeod is spelled M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks also to my special guest co-host today, Reagan Haney.
Thank you. You're listening to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. That was my segment with Reagan Haney interviewing Alan McLeod and Rosa Del Duca. Coming up next, Eleanor Goldfield speaks with Dr. Harriet Fraud to discuss a censored perspective on gun violence in the United States. Stay tuned. Thank you, everyone, for joining us at the Project Censored radio show. We're very glad right now to be joined by Dr. Harriet Fraud, who's a licensed mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in private practice in New York City. She writes and speaks on the intersection of politics, economics, and personal life in the U.S. Her work can be found on her website, harrietfraud.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-E-T-F-R-A-A-D.com, as well as her podcast, Capitalism Hits Home, and with Liam Tate and Eko Hiroi, It's Not Just in Your Head. Her latest written work appears in Knowledge Class in Economics by Rutledge. Dr. Fraud was a founding mother of the women's liberation movement in New Haven, Connecticut, and has been an activist for her entire life. Dr. Fraud, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I am really glad to be here. So, Dr. Fraud, I want to jump right in here into the dark and morbid reality of living in the United States these days. There have been more mass shootings than days in 2023. Um, and there's always this back and forth, you know, on, on corporate media. It's the guns. No, it's the it's the mentally ill. Um, now, because they're trans and mentally ill. And when they say mentally ill, they're, of course, suggesting that it's their own personal problem, right? It's not anything systemic. It's just that's a bad egg. But you have spoken on your show and others' shows about the systemic framing of this violence, both in terms of capitalism and patriarchy. Yes. One of the things we have to notice, although they don't say another man shot people today, 97.5% of mass shooters are men. So we have to look at not only why mass shootings, but why men are mass shooting. What's happening to masculinity in the United States to drive men to just go in and shoot people? Well, it's complicated. The first place, the male role in the United States in its patriarchal superiority has undergone quite a beating. In the late 70s, capitalists in search of greater profits outsourced what were male unionized, well-paid jobs to poorly paid nations with no ecological constraints nor workers' rights places like Bangladesh, Pakistan, China. One of the reasons China is the colossus it is, is we that's where the manufacturer is because that's where Americans moved it. I saw a statistics, a statistic that said 60% of factories in China have American investment, which I'm not surprised. That's where the money was. And it was enabled by the discoveries of the mid to late 70s, faster jet travel, faxes, computers, 
that allowed a business to be managed abroad and its workers to be paid $3 an hour or under while it was in the United States. And then they brought their billions of profits back and bought our political system, which was for sale. At any rate, masculinity consisted of, and in many popular ways still does, consist of having a wage, a good job, and a wage that could support a dependent wife and children. Well, that's over. The majority of U.S. women work, not because necessarily that they want to, but because they have to, that they can't live without working or keep up their standard, which they keep up through borrowing, but also working. And men who are insecure about their masculinity now that they can't control full-time labor of female servants in the home doing their domestic work, their emotional work, connecting them to their own feelings, their social work, connecting them to their children and to inviting friends over, and childcare. They don't have a full-time laborer unpaid in the home serving them. And therefore, when women come home from work, they are less entranced by the second shift. Insecure men demand more housework, more catering. However, women who just worked outside the home don't want the second shift. It's not their full-time job. They're participating in the economic survival of the family. They want men to participate in the emotional survival of the family, and that isn't working well. 70% of divorces are now initiated by women. The idea of women dragging the reluctant husbands to the altar is over. Now it's blue collar men don't get married because they can't support a dependent wife and children and have demands that are patriarchal demands that are outdated. For the first time in our history in the United States, the majority of women are single and by choice. And a little over 40% of children are born outside of a marriage because you know, to put it in a rather vulgar way, but very well, I once told my daughter about the old saw, you know, why buy the cow if you could get the milk for free? In other words, be virginal. Don't give away your sex. And my daughter said to me, hey, mom, why keep a pig in your house if all you want is sausage? Okay. Also, women's Sexuality has become independent of marriage because of available birth control. I mean, they're working on withdrawing it, but available abortion and birth control. And so men are out of luck. They don't have the emblems of masculinity and feel unmanned. In comes the capitalist gun industry. The NRA is listed as a nonprofit, but it's a major lobbying effort that converts men's insecurity about being men into the idea you can defend yourself, you are powerful, you have a gun. I remember the uh, advertisement for a Clint Eastwood movie where Clint Eastwood is pointing a gun at someone's head and saying, make my day. 
In other words, I will be enhanced by your death. And ads like the ad for the Bushmaster Automatic, which got such negative publicity by females that they took it off, but it was, does your wife or girlfriend earn more money than you? Revoke your man card. Do you prefer tofu to real meat? Revoke your man card. And then it went through, a, you know, are you wheeling a stroller in the park? Revoke your man card. And then at the end of the ad, there was a picture of a Bushmaster automatic and it said, reinstate your man card. Bushmaster automatic. The NRA peddled a ex-girlfriend target where you shoot it and red blood-like substance obscures each part of her until she's totally obliterated. Because the idea is you can get respect, you can reinstate your manhood with a gun. The Wall Street Journal, oddly enough, was the one that plotted a map of the United States, gun owners, and juxtaposed on it a map of insecure masculinity in the United States as shown by buying testosterone creams and penis extenders and such things. And so the idea you can defend yourself and not only defend yourself, but defend your family because you have an automatic weapon like they do in the army. You are a man, right? Appeals to people who feel powerless and unmanned. Another thing that's happened is that when women leave a connection with a man, they retain their woman friends in whom they emotionally confide because often the closest emotional relationship women have is with other women and not necessarily their guy who's their lover or husband. They also have their children who they take care of. So they haven't lost their emotional connection. Whereas men have, and they're isolated. They never say of any of the, it's 153 mass murders that have happened already in I think 140 days or something like that. And there's always a new one. They don't say he had so many friends. It's always, he was a loner because we are social animals. Other countries don't allow solitary confinement because they consider it torture. We're social animals. We cannot maintain our mental health being isolated. And these men tend to be isolated with their only connection, an internet connection to other enraged men who take power at the mouth of a gun. In the movie Grand Canyon, which is a brilliant movie, it begins with a, a black tow truck driver, very famous black actor, plays it. And he gets out of his cab because he's been called to pick up a car. Now, the car is surrounded by a gang because it breaks down in a gang neighborhood. And the white guy in his sports car is very scared. And the black man who descends from his cab says, hey man, to the gang leader surrounding, of the gang surrounding the car. Look, I have full respect for you, but I'll get fired if I don't pick up a car and I'm sent there. Can you give me a break? 
just as a fellow black man, in all respect, can you give me a break? And the gang leader said, would you respect me if I didn't have a gun? Good question. He probably wouldn't. And they discuss it. And finally, the black tow truck driver could tow the car. Okay. And one of the ways that men feel that people will respect, and in parentheses, fear them so they'll be real men, is with guns. And they show their anger by shooting those guns off. So it's a question of the capitalist gun market, which is unchecked because they've bribed so many Congress people. There are five lobbyists to every congressperson in our Congress. And the NRA is a well-funded lobbying effort. And so the corrupt politicians in the best democracy money can buy vote against curbing guns, and we continue to have mass shootings. It's interesting that in New Zealand, after the Christchurch massacre, Jacinda Ardern really cut down on guns. They haven't had one since. And the person who came in and shot the place up was actually Australian, but she got on television with her head covering and affirmed that we're all connected and that this is a tragedy for all of us. So she didn't turn against Muslims as we did in the United States. And there was not another mass murder since. But she didn't have that kind of gun lobby. So it's a combination of a capitalist gun lobby, people being isolated, men being demoted from their patriarchal supremacy because they can't get jobs that support a woman, no less a family, and that was so capitalists could earn more money, which they certainly did, and they're lost. They're lost people. They're isolated, they're unmanned, and the NRA makes it very manly to have a gun and shoot it, to show you have the power to take lives. And often they kill themselves as well, or they have death by cop because they're often shot. But they feel like they're going down in a blaze of glory, not they're going down as a mentally disturbed, isolated, pathetic human. And so if we had on our buses, on our subways, on our billboards, signs of some wimp with a gun that says, Gun owners have insecure masculinity. Gun owners are pathetic men. How sad. That would be helpful. And if our films did not glorify shoot 'em up, that too would be helpful. And I think it's quite significant that things called chick flicks are about warm feelings, family, friendship, and so on, whereas Guy films are about action, car races, and shoot them up. These are really outmoded patriarchal gender stereotypes interacting with the capitalist system unchecked in the United States, which has created mass murder. Even kids now, they have drills. If a mass murder comes to their school, they wear backpacks that are bulletproofed. And they're terrified. 
and not for nothing. School shootings are a regular event in the United States. And so, you know, it's a combination of social isolation, patriarchy, the ideas of male supremacy, which can't be maintained within our economic and social environment, lost men who have shown signs always. They describe he was a loner, he was violent, he had scars, one of them had scars all over his face for where he cut himself with a razor. People who are flagrantly in trouble and where nobody helps them. They are isolated and we cannot be isolated. Humans don't live isolated. In the very beginning of human existence, they never found caves that had one person because we're not the swiftest animals. We don't have the best sense of smell. We don't have the, the biggest teeth. We're not the strongest. We would lose out if we couldn't cooperate. So what they did in the early societies, which were all communal, is they would dig a big hole and then make a lot of noise and drive an animal in there and then carve it up and share the proceeds because they couldn't have lived otherwise. And we are pack animals. We can't live otherwise. And these are isolated men who have been unmanned by the capitalist system. And their idea of manhood was an idea of dominating people dependent on them. Also, they've lost their position in the community. It used to be, if you lived in a community that let's say worked for a tire company, as you got seniority, you got respect. You were someone who worked at Goodyear Tire. You were someone who worked at Cooper Tire. And you got a reasonable salary and you had a position and you could get a little house and you had a family. Now, everything is Walmart where you get minimum wage or you can also, the four biggest employers are now Amazon where you're an extension of a robot, Walmart, where you're paid so poorly that they have a food stamps desk in front of the store to help you get the food stamps that allow you to subsist so our government can compensate for their terrible salaries. And they have huge parking lots for the people who live in their cars. Or, so we have Amazon, Walmart, fast food, and call centers in all four biggest employers, you're on the clock. If you don't, let's say, make your hamburger and get the person in and out in two minutes and 33 seconds, you're clocked, you're buzzed, your supervisor talks to you. You cannot ever put your elbows on the counter. And in Walmart, even if there's no one in the store or no one in your department, you are not allowed to sit down. You have no, you know, these are not union jobs. You don't have rights. And so men no longer have the position, not only in the family because of their family wages, but in the community that they once did. And also Americans are more and more isolated. As Robert Putnam wrote in 2009, and his experiments have been repeated every five or 10 years, there are fewer people involved in any group, PTA, bowling leagues, political organizations, 
than were in bowling leagues alone in 1970. People are isolated on their own computer, on their own television, and they're terribly lonely. And women have been the social connectors and men are going mad. And I think that's what's happening, a combination of capitalism exporting their jobs, blaming the Chinese who, Chinese welcomed the jobs, but it was the American companies that exported them. And they're demoted. And rather than saying, okay, we're all in it together, men and women, black and white, and having a class agenda that we need to stop this, these two class system in the United States of an employer class and an employee class and have more co-ops and have stronger unions. Stronger unions are emerging because people are realizing they'll never make it isolated against a capitalist monster, but we need that. We need an embracing total movement. One of the reasons that 4 million French people are out in the streets protesting Macron's raising the pension age from 62 to 64 is that Mélenchon has a class agenda. It's not reported in the United States, even though he got 1% less than the fascists who were reported in the last election. But he has a class is the central post of this umbrella. And the spokes and the fabric are, in their case, Black Lives Matter, Algerian Lives Matter, Women's Lives Matter, and Climate Matters. All the movements are united with what they have in common, a different class agenda that would allocate resources differently to address their problems. They have that unity. We don't have that in the United States. We don't really have an alternative system party. We have a choice of two capitalists, and that's it. But they do have a choice. They have a fascist party. That, well, they have a communist party. They have a socialist party. They have Mélenchon, who tries to unite them all. And they also don't allow any private money in elections. And so it's not the best democracy money can buy, which is a huge thing, because otherwise money talks. Last presidential election we had, they spent $4.4 billion. Who's going to pay that back? And to whom? These are relevant questions. And so that the mass murders are just another symptom of people trying to hold on to patriarchal advantage, an idea of manhood that's disappeared, and being encouraged by capitalists selling guns. And these are socially isolated people because we don't have these broad, all-encompassing political social movements here to our great detriment. Well, Dr. Fraud, thank you so much for contextualizing this in a way that I believe is very, very necessary and one that is never heard on corporate media with mm -hmm. the very limited and back and forth shallow remarks. So folks, again, can find your work at harrietfraud.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-E-T-F-R-A-A-D.com. Thank you again so much for taking the time to sit down with Thank us. Thank you so much. I really am so glad to talk with you and your audience. Thanks a lot. We want to smash, crash, pass, mass, blast the system. We want to get it, I get it live. Get with me.
And that does it for another episode of the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm Eleanor Goldfield, co-hosting with Mickey Huff. For this episode, I've also been your associate producer, and Anthony Fest is our senior producer. Project Censored Radio airs on roughly 50 stations across the U.S., from Maui to New York. And you can find all our previous archived programs by going to projectcensored.org. Please follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram just before we get deplatformed. And be sure to subscribe to the official Project Censored show on your digital tethering devices podcast application. Please feel free to contact us, share your feedback, or learn more about our work at projectcensored.org and see our new publishing imprint, The Censored Press, at censoredpress.org. To learn more about my work or to contact me specifically, please visit my website at artkillingapathy.com. You can also follow me on social media at Radical Eleanor. Last but not least, thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time.